strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. Appreciate you spending some time. If you'd like to join us in making a difference in our community, join us in Broomhead's Action Alliance. Just text the word ACTION to 411923. We will inform you about upcoming community service and volunteer opportunities. We'll even send you an Action Alliance t-shirt while supplies last. Just text the word ACTION to 411-923. So the headline I read before we went to break in the news, uh, retirement plans set for trillion-dollar tailspin, economists warn. Now, over the last few days, we have seen a little bit of a rebound in the stock market. It's just about at 30500 but still well below what it was at its high. The concern is, of course, that inflation continues to rise, so people have less money to spend, and the Fed is going to continue to raise interest rates. And we are now seeing, and this is another headline that is that really should worry people, forecast for U.S. recession within the year hits 100 percent. So within the next year, we are expected to be in a recession. Now the question is going to be how bad. And the American people have a right to feel uh, disenfranchised, disenchanted, uh, not listened to um, because they don't listen. They don't believe that this federal government is listening to the American people. The American people are hurting. And then the question is always it's a political one of, well, what is he supposed to do? He's doing the best he can. Well, I will tell you, I believe that the president of the United States is doing his best. I just don't think that his best is good enough in this situation. There are people whose policies just aren't right. They don't fit what people want. We've had a big conversation, a lot of conversations about um, forms of government and socialism. And uh, the unfairness of capitalism is always what comes up. It's winners and losers. Well, there's winners and losers in everything. But the idea that everyone does well, so I will go back to one of my sports analogies. The NFL is not a fair league. You've got winners and you've got losers every week. It happens every week. But even the players on a losing team, the team that finishes worst in the NFL is going to be loaded with millionaires because the league itself is powerful and it's a juggernaut and people want to watch. When you look at the American economy, and this, again, is my point of view that a lot of people disagree with, but it works. It is working. They just don't like the fact that some people succeed and others don't. Nobody wants the government involved in their business. I've talked about uh, on many occasions how socialism destroys hope. It destroys people. And this isn't my personal view because I've never lived under socialism. But I have so many friends that have. When you talk to someone that has come from a communist or a socialist country, usually speaking, they are the most ardent and adamant supporters of capitalism. Because they know what it's like to live under the oppression that comes from fairness. Now, that sounds silly, but it's just a true statement. So many of my friends that are from Cuba, I know people from Venezuela. I know people from Cuba, many from Cuba. Um, I've Many Russians that I've become friends with. Uh, uh, a friend that came from Albania. And they become American success stories because what you can still succeed. That doesn't mean that there aren't people that do it the right way that don't succeed. That is absolutely true. 
But when you look at the attitudes of the American people and you say, all right, so you're someone and I'm one of those people that you say, you know what? I need to do the right thing. I've started over a couple of times in the last dozen years, so I'm kind of behind the eight ball as far as my age goes. I've got to be more aggressive in trying to set some money aside so I can retire someday. But I want to do the right thing, and I'm setting money aside to retire. And then – You see what's happening, and there are so many people that are closer to retirement than I am, that are in their 60s, you know, mid to late 60s, and they're looking at retirement and they're thinking, I can't. I I just, I've lost so much in what's gone on in the last year that I'm never going to be able to retire. Completely out of their control. People living off a retirement where their money is set aside that are seeing the value of their portfolio diminish. That is a very difficult place to be. People thinking, I may have to go and get a job to make ends meet. That is a scary, scary place to be. When you've worked your whole life and thought you'd set enough aside so that you could retire comfortably. It affects the working class. It affects the people that are working and trying to make ends meet. Yesterday, the story was if you're working 65 hours a week just to keep your head above water, welcome to Phoenix. Welcome to the Valley. So these are the things that Americans are facing. Um, The president of the United States talking about uh, student loan relief, another expenditure of the federal government, another shifting of of the burden from the people that borrowed the money to people that didn't borrow the money. And here's what the president said about it. And despite what the Republican officials say, we can afford, we're able to afford the student loan relief. It's because of our historic deficit reduction the Republicans voted against. On my watch, the deficit fell by $350 billion last year. So we can afford this. And this is where he goes on. This is the other part where he doesn't apologize. I will never apologize for helping working Americans and middle class people as they recover from the pandemic, especially not the same Republicans who voted for a two trillion dollar tax cut in the last administration, mainly benefited the wealthiest Americans and the largest corporations. This is what makes me furious about this in that that statement. The largest tax cut that helped largely the wealthiest in America. Class warfare, us against them. But it also led to the the biggest jump in in money into the treasury. The treasury has been making more money. This is the problem that I look at people because are you really that um, jealous of wealthy people? Are you really that envious of people that are very successful? I certainly am not. I never have been. As a matter of fact, I've tried to learn from them. But isn't it interesting that you say it helped the wealthiest among us? It helped everybody. The United States Treasury, and check me, this again, fact check me. I want everyone to fact check me. You know, I get fact checked on Twitter when people are wrong about me, but I don't care. Keep looking. Keep digging. The United States Treasury has been collecting more money every month, every quarter, every year. During the time of the Trump tax cuts that only helped the wealthy, the United States Treasury collected more money than ever before. So why would the American people be upset with that? Why would the American government be upset with that? So now you look at what's happening and how we're re- and, and by the way, the United States Treasury continues to set records for revenue. So now they want to raise taxes. When they're already getting record revenue while they are chastising the private sector for profiteering. So somebody explain that to me. The private sector, 
you know, when it comes to food production, when it comes to fossil fuels, they have specifically gone after those industries and accused them of profiteering at this time, and they should reduce the profits that they're taking. And as a government, we are raising taxes. Now, whether you say, well, at least it's only the wealthy that can afford it, you are taking in record revenue into the United States Treasury. Check me. You can go look right now at what comes at, at revenue into the Treasury. Every month, every quarter, they are setting records for revenue. So they are getting record profits into the Treasury, and yet they're raising taxes and accusing the private sector of profiteering. You don't see that as hypocrisy. It's because you agree with them. Your punish the rich mentality, even if it cuts off your nose to spite your face, is silly to me. If we can reduce taxes in any segment of our government and improve the lives of everyone, who cares? If my life is better and you got a big tax cut, I'm going to applaud you. And we, this is the same old argument that doesn't work. In a moment, uh, the CDC refused to reinstate Title 42 and how the immigration conversation in Arizona is damaging to the immigration system in America. We'll talk about that in a couple of moments. Values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, how do we solve the border issues? It's it's uh, uh, it's a long-standing question that does not begin with the Biden administration. It goes back decades. You know, again, uh, historically, if you look back in the 1980s, Reagan had a plan in place that was supposed to solve the issue then, and it didn't, and it never came to fruition. And so, since and that's as far back as I go on the issue. Um, you know, I was a little kid during the, the Carter administration and a very young adult during the um, the, the uh, Reagan administration. But this is a problem that has gotten worse and worse and worse and worse, and now it's the worst it's ever, ever been. And so uh, the people at ICE, uh, Customs, Immigration and Customs Enforcement, uh, puts out a report about uh, annual deportations and arrests. And there is a huge, a dramatic drop in those confrontations, those arrests. And in order to prepare for it, according to some documents, the acting director, Tay Johnson, and acting chief of staff, Jason Hauser, uh, tried to downplay the low level of these um, in this uh, communication that was obtained by a Freedom of Information Act request. It, it also uh, delayed, which ICE attributed to the fact that the report was a compilation of what would otherwise be multiple separate reports. But in other words, there is a dramatic drop in the number of arrests and the number of deportations. And they were trying to spin this about COVID and some other things. And they were actually caught in these documents trying to spin it. So when I continue to tell you that the administration is out of touch with the average American, I will tell you, being in Arizona since 1995, immigration, and specifically illegal immigration, is not a partisan issue in Arizona. Uh, You know, do you think that every rancher in southern Arizona is a Republican? They aren't. But every single one of them face the same kind of crime, the same kind of danger. You, You think about the idea of a ranch. 
you know, again, for me, it would be a dream to have a ranch house, to be able to live, you know, on, a, on your piece of land and work the land and peace. And they've got people destroying fencing, leaving trash behind. They're finding bodies. They're finding people on the verge of death and they're forced to be first responders. They're riding their land with firearms because they're afraid. They have their wives and children sleeping somewhere else because they're afraid of break-ins at their own property. These are the realities of what's happening at the border. It's certainly isn't everyone that's crossing the border. I've never categorized this as a wave of criminals, but you've got people that are crossing illegally. They're breaking American laws. And the worst part about this is the American people's opinion on immigration is shifting. There are numbers of Americans now that are fed up with what's happening at the border and they just want to stop it all. I think that would be a horrible idea. I think it would be a horrible idea. We should always be welcoming the people. Um, I mentioned earlier there is a, a, a piece that Mike Rowe has written nationally that I printed, and I think Mike Rowe is, is so spot on. He is such a, a good guy for the working class, um, and he's such a wealth of information and knowledge about the working class. And the piece he writes is saying, you know, we have a shortage of skilled labor in this country, and we better address it because it is going to damage our economy in the long term. Well, we've been suffering that in Arizona now for a long time. Same statistic I've I've preached. You go back to before the economic crash in 08, in 06, 07, we were building 65,000 homes or around that number per year in Arizona. 65,000. We are at about half that or a little less half that now. The demand is there. We all know it, but we do not have the labor force to build them. We don't have the skilled laborers, the carpenters, the drywall framers, and the hangers. We don't have the roofers. We don't have the plumbers and AC and electricians. We don't have those people. We don't have enough of them to build these houses fast enough. And yet, we've got a labor force that is clamoring at our shores. They are banging on the door here, coming into this country, making up stories about asylum, knowing they're going to be, well, finding out later that they're going to be excused and kicked out because their asylum claims are not real. They're not legitimate. And we have people that would come here and do these jobs. It would help everyone involved. But we have changed the minds of people because we're calling everybody a migrant because we don't want to insult people. And if you listen to the show, I try not to be insulting, but there are times when you have to call it what it is. And I've I've said it's like saying if you've got someone that is purchasing groceries and you've got someone that is stealing groceries, they may be stealing them for their children. And it might be a noble cause that they're stealing for. One's a customer and the other's a shoplifter. They are not both customers. And when it comes to the border, not everyone's a migrant. What that does is it damages the reputation of the people that come here legally. That's the problem. We should define the two. That doesn't mean we demonize one, but we have to make a distinction between the two. And then what we have to do is find a way to take good people that want to come to this country either just for the work or to become citizens and find a better way to get them here. But it begins with border security. It begins with securing the border so we can control what comes across our border, like drugs or goods and services. 
or who comes across our border, people that want to work or criminals. And there is a, there is a complete ignoring of this by the administration and a spin to their dismal numbers. And when you spin your numbers and you get caught doing it, it shows that, A, you're not doing anything, and, B, you don't want to. You just don't want to be punished in the court of public opinion. That's worse than anything else. Coming up in a moment, an interesting story. A mother was arrested for something she allowed her 10-year-old child to do. We'll talk about it next. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. An interesting story out of the state of New York. I'm just going to read part of this, and I want to get your opinion on this. A New York woman has been arrested for allowing her 10-year-old son to get a large tattoo across his forearm. Um, Police this month busted a woman named Crystal Thomas, 33 years old, for endangering the welfare of a child. She was booked on the misdemeanor charge and released from custody on a a court appearance ticket. Um, Thomas... Thomas's son was placed in the custody of Child Protective Services. Um, before inking the boy, police say the tattoo artist got permission from Thomas. The resulting tattoo was the boy's name in full-size block letters was inked across the child's forearm. The tattoo was large enough that you would need a sleeve to cover it up. Officials learned of the tattoo earlier this month when the boy asked the nurse at his middle school to apply Vaseline atop the fresh ink. So uh, they described the tattoo artist as a person of interest who could face charges including tattooing a minor and endangering the welfare of a child. Hmm. Um, I want to read this to you and uh, see what you think. Uh, transgender young people may experience rejection from their families of origin and be kicked out of their homes. 57% of the TGNC people who are out of their families reported experiencing family rejection. Verbal harassment was a common, and 87% of the young people report facing it often and frequently. Um, it talks about all of the maladies and all of the, the things that happen uh, to transgender young people, and this is from the government website in the state of New York. Um, providing transgender inclusive care, six strategies for success. Be aware, be knowledgeable, be sensitive, be prepared, be proactive, be an ally and an advocate. And then it talks about the challenge, uh, children's services, non-discrimination policies. There is also a bill in New York in 2021 marked a record-breaking year for the anti-transgender legislation. Um, as a society, we must recognize the dignity and humanity inherent within others, especially our trans youth. Our trans safe haven legislation will send strong messages to the LGBTQ plus rights will always be protected in the Empire State. So what they are talking about is a child's right to be transgender and receive transgender services, whether it's hormones or it's an actual surgery. That is what they're fighting for in New York. But they arrested a mom because she let her 10-year-old put a tattoo on. Now, I'm not saying that's a wise thing to do with a 10-year-old. You know, it's something that, you know, a 10 year old could grow up to regret that tattoo. A 10 year old could grow up and say, I wonder why my mom would let me make a decision like that. Now, I have a tattoo on my forearm and it covers my entire forearm and it's a a tribute to my family. I did it when I was 55 years old, 55. So are there decisions that you shouldn't be able to make as a child? Absolutely. But if a mother says, go ahead and put a tattoo on my child, she has her child taken away. She's arrested. 
And the tattoo artist is going to also possibly be charged with uh, endangering the welfare of a child for a tattoo. In New York, gender-affirming care is now going to be made made possible in legislation for who? Children. Which one is more life-altering? I'm not trying to denigrate trans people. Not at all. This isn't about denigrating trans people. This is about going after a parent, arresting a parent, putting their child in the custody of the state over a tattoo. And at the same time, the state of New York wants legislation that allows the same age children to make a decision on altering their body by changing their gender, whether it's through hormones or surgery or both. Did the two of them not conflict? I mean, honestly, as a parent, if you saw a parent in a tattoo shop allowing their 10-year-old to get tattooed, wouldn't you question their parent- parenting skills? I would. Would you say letting a 10-year-old get a tattoo is a little bit ridiculous? Most of us would. Do you think that parent should be arrested? Do you think that parent should have their child taken away? Well, if you do, if you think that this shows that you are such a bad parent that you're going to alter your child's body and appearance with a tattoo, doesn't it make sense that anything else that has to do with altering their gender would also fall under the same category? Now, I know that there are people out there scrambling to say it's not the same. It's exactly the same. It's exactly the same. That children are going to be able to, that you don't think, and I don't think this is true. Maybe it is. It doesn't say it in the story. I think the kid wanted the tattoo. I don't think the mother held this kid down or the tattoo artist held this kid down and made him get a tattoo. I don't think that happened. I think the kid wanted it and the mother said yes. That's where the problem lies, right? Because a 10-year-old can't possibly know what they want on their body for the rest of their life. And here you have the same state that took this child away from a parent. Took the child away. And yet they are trying to make sure that parents can't stop their children from having gender-affirming care. If you don't see the contradiction there. If you don't see the political movement that's happening in this country that has to do with being transgender, and I feel bad for people that are legitimately transgender because you are a political pawn in all of this. You are being used as a political pawn in all of this, and there are going to be people that push back against you because of the craziness of what we're doing with children. That's not fair to the trans community. You know, I used to, I've talked about, uh, you know, the, the gay people I know that they don't want to be a part of a political movement. They are they are whatever they are that happens to be gay. Gay isn't their political affiliation. Gay isn't their work affiliation. It's just who they are. And they don't want to be lumped in politically. They don't want to be labeled. They don't want any of this stuff and this attention and the nonsense that goes on. And neither do trans people. And we've turned this into this political nonsense movement where now it's affecting children the way it is. 
It would this bill would he, would shield health care providers for transgender patients from arrest. So they don't want health care providers to be in trouble for helping a child transition from one gender to another. But they want to go after a tattoo artist that put a tattoo on the kid. Are, are you joking? These, you can look these stories up. It's amazing stuff. It is amazing stuff. In a moment, uh, we are going to talk about one school district in Arizona that shows high performance and high job satisfaction. Which one it is and why they are different than some others. Coming up in just a moment. Values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. And thanks for being here during King LASIK's season of savings. LASIK for both eyes is now just $3,500. This is a $2,000 savings and 0% financing for 24 months on approved credit. LASIK with Dr. King is only $146 a month. Go to kinglasik.com slash Arizona for complete details. So one school district enlisted here. Uh, Kyrene School District at a time when many Arizona school districts started this school year off struggling and continue to struggle to fill dozens of teaching positions. Kyrene has no teacher vacancies, partly because 85 percent of those worked for the district last year returned. Data presented recently from their governing board suggests the fact that so many returned is a good thing for parents and students. The vast majority were rated highly effective. Congratulations to the Kyrene School District for this information. If, it, if this is all true, the way the performance here, the challenges, what's happening, they said those are just really great numbers, according to the vice president. It's not surprising, but it's always nice when the numbers reflect what we see, feel, and know to be true. Other board members are talking with this reflects what I hear from the community, parents and students, how they feel about our schools. Uh, the district's experience with keeping teachers wasn't a surprise since Kyrene for the last five years has seen a teacher retention rate of between 85 and 92 percent. So when you look at statistically what this is saying is that you are seeing teachers are like teaching there and the students like having the teachers there. Um, so we understand that there are school districts that don't perform. And there is a big argument in this country about what's appropriate to be taught to children. A lot of it has to do with focus and, you know, trying to get your kids to focus on anything, but especially schoolwork for any amount of time is difficult. That's where my problem comes with a lot of the, the curriculum and the things that are in school. So Arizona schools are, um, in many cases, are, are, are complaining about funding. Don't blame them. Um, the issues, though, have a lot to do with what they spend their money on. And this is where I think parents should ask the questions. I'm not telling parents how to behave. I'm just making a suggestion here. Go ask them what they spend their money on. So instead of fighting about the validity of a whether or not there's any value in a curriculum, whether it's the idea of critical race theory, which many districts say isn't being taught, or social-emotional learning, or all of these other catchphrases, why don't you find out what curriculum they are buying, how much they are paying for it, and how much money is spent on training the teachers in that curriculum and then find out what those curriculums do. And if it's outside of teaching kids to read and write in the basics, you should then figure out to them, is it worth that money in the time? We are already broke. You don't pay teachers enough. You have classrooms that are way too big. And so what are we doing that is of, not, of, of little or no value when it comes to the basic education of our children and get rid of it? I mean, that's what I would do. It's, you know, a simple prospect 
and a simple principle of people in business. When you have a lot of things that are going on, when you're making a lot of money and you're expanding and you're doing different things, what you end up doing when things get tough, when you say we don't have enough revenue, whatever product we're selling, whether it's goods or a service, whatever we're selling, people are not buying at a very high rate. We are seeing our income dwindle here. Everybody reassesses. Where do we have to make cuts? Now, obviously, you don't want to make cuts in the classroom when it comes to education. Those are the core of what you do. Just like as, a, as an electrician, I don't want to get rid of my electricians. They are the money makers. They are the key to my success. Well, then what areas are we spending money in that we can cut back and make sure that the quality remains high? When was the last time you heard of a school district talking like that? You hear these big platitudes. You hear these big comments made about there's not enough school funding. There's bonds and overrides right now that are being voted on by people. And isn't it interesting to find out that the very people that live in some of these neighborhoods are voting no on more money into the schools in their district because they're not satisfied with the service that's being provided to them. So it's not just a state legislature thing. This isn't pointing at Republicans in the state legislature and say they don't care about uh, uh, about funding for education. That is, that is a political ploy and a political tool. What about a lot of these districts where the parents are saying, no, you're not raising my property taxes. I'm not voting for that because the schools aren't doing a good job with the money they have. Those are the things they're facing. But when you're in a good place like the Kyrene School District that gets numbers like this, why aren't people looking at that and saying, all right, what are they doing right? Why don't we start doing that? And just like I talk about the basis schools that are so highly rated in Arizona and then everybody wants to scream about how they handpick their students and they do this and, of course, their numbers are better. Well, the fact of the matter is the public schools would remain very, very popular if they were effective, and they just aren't. We can argue about why they aren't, but we all should be agreeing that the public school system in Arizona is not performing. Now, if we agree on that, let's argue, let's have the legitimate, and I mean of civil debate and an argument about why it isn't they aren't performing and what we do to make them better. You know, when you have kids, when you have kids that are being counseled and every single child is being told they have to go to college, when every kid is being counseled on how they go to a college, they all go in, they have to apply for grants, they have to apply, it's a part of the process. How many of these kids are not ready for college? How many of them don't want to go to college? How many of these kids would be better suited for a CTED, for a career technical education district, like an EVIT or a Westmec? How many of these kids should be pointed in that direction and would rather go in that direction? Well, that's not where the money is. The money is in getting these kids in a room and making sure they know how to fill out grant paperwork and everything else to go to college. And some of these kids fail at college, saddled with student loan debt that they get forgiveness for later, instead of going down a road that would make them a contributor to society much faster, would pay them an excellent wage, and they would feel as if they've accomplished something. Ask your school about that when it comes time for their counselors to prepare school-age kids if they're even talking to them about some of these other school districts, and it doesn't happen. Coming up just after 11 o'clock, economists warning about the economy next.